Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If I was dying and, and my children were with me and they said, you know, Daddy, what, what would you like to leave us? What would you like to leave us? Today, I want to give you exactly what I would leave them. Maybe, maybe you know, my, my children all their lives growing up as young children, especially as teenagers, they would just go, everywhere we go, we're Pastor Jacob's kid. I hate being Pastor Jacob's kid until they got pulled over by the police. <laughs> oh, then they love being Pastor Jacob's kid. Please come up, son, you're speeding, give me a driver's license. We're going to go, your daddy's Pastor Jacob? Yeah. Slow down and tell him I said, hey. So I, I could, if I would be able to give them one gift, one gift, I would give them the gift that I'm going to share with you today. And this one gift would help them more in their life than if I left them each a million dollars, which <laughs> that won't happen. So, but the Bible says a good name is better than gold. And so by God's grace, Michelle and I are going to leave them a good name and we're going to leave them prayerfully the gift that I want to share with you today from this book. There are many promises in the word of God, but most of them have a stipulation. One scripture says, God says, you will, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. There's a lot of stipulations, believing, confessing, asking, the gift that God wants to speak to us about through his word today is a gift that there's only one condition. You know what it is? Just ask. Just ask. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in James chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom. Let me translate this. If anyone needs wisdom, let him ask and if you ask, God will give freely to you. There's no stipulations. The only stipulation is you just ask. How many of you could use wisdom in your family? How many of you could use wisdom in your faith? How many of you could really use wisdom in your finances? Your friendships? Those children you want to beat? Oh yeah, boy, both hands and a leg. Well, today I want to talk to you about wisdom and how wisdom comes to us and how we can be the opposite of that as well and how to keep from becoming that. What is wisdom? The dictionary defines wisdom as the quality of having experienced knowledge and good judgment to make actions or decisions with regard to applying those things to our own lives. What's the opposite of wisdom? If you say someone is wise, okay, you go, hey, man, they're, they're wise. What is the opposite of wisdom? Someone is a, a fool, a fool. Foolishness is the act of actually being a fool. The dictionary defines a fool as a person who acts unwisely, imprudently, or impatiently. Now, today, we're going to talk to you out of a book in the Bible that was written by the wisest man that ever lived that came from earth. His father was plucked up out of obscurity. Matter of fact, most theologians believe that he was born out of an immoral relationship and there were several boys in the family and on the most important day of this young man's life when the prophet was coming to choose a leader at his home out of one of the boys, his father sent him to a field away from all of the action. He would later write in the book of Psalms, in sin and in iniquity did my mother conceive me. That's why many theologians believe he came out of an immoral relationship. His father was embarrassed of him. But when the prophet came, he prayed over all the boys and he said, this isn't the one. Do you have any other son? Really, he was saying, do you have any other sin? And David was brought in out of the field. And when he came walking in, God said to the prophet, he's the one. And this young boy the rejected out of his family. Aren't you grateful that you can be rejected by God, rejected by people, and that doesn't make you anything but accepted by God? And he took him and God raised him up from absolute obscurity, not only to killing giants, 
but to expanding the kingdom of God and developing such a legacy that Jesus himself would be called by his name. Jesus, thou son of son of David, meaning descendant of David. David, the giant killer, is now dying. He's expanded the kingdom. There's never been a king like him. He's called a man after God's own heart. And on his deathbed, he looks over at his son, Solomon, and says, I am leaving all of this with you. Be strong. Prove yourself to be a man. Keep charge of the Lord your God. That's his dying words. And with that, Solomon leaves there and he goes into the temple to meet God. And he kneels and he prays. He is taking over after a giant killer, literally. He is taking over for a man who's one of the greatest warriors in all of the Bible. A man who did exploits in a measurable fashion. And now he has got to take the helm of the ship, the steering wheel of an entire nation. And he prays and he says, God, these are your people. I'll probably never be as strong as my dad. I'll probably never kill a bear and a lion like he did. But give me something to lead your people. And he asked for this thing. He said, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom that I will know how to lead your people. And you know what God said to him? Solomon, because you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies. Solomon, because you didn't ask for riches or honor or a long life. Solomon... Because you asked for wisdom to rule my people, I'm going to give you wealth, wisdom, a long life, the lives of your enemy, and glory and honor, such as there will never be a king before you and never a king after you. And so he wrote this amazing wisdom in a couple of books, but the primary book he wrote it in was called the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. A lot of wise people I know Read one chapter of Proverbs every day of the month. It takes about five minutes. And so here is what God told him. And here's now what he is telling you and me on how we can gain wisdom. Proverbs chapter one, the words of Solomon. Here are the kingdom revelation, words to live by, and words of wisdom given to what? Empower you to do what? How many of you want to reign in life? That means win, overcome. Written as Proverbs by Israel's King Solomon, David's son. Within these sayings can be found revelation and wisdom and the impartation of spiritual understanding. Use them as keys to unlock treasures of true knowledge. Those who cling to these words will receive Discipline to demonstrate wisdom in every relationship and choose what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give you great skill to teach your kids and make them to give youth the understanding of their design and their destiny. For the wise, these proverbs will make you even wiser. And for those with discernment, you will be able to acquire brilliant strategies for leadership. The last verse, verse 7 in this, in this passage. Start with the first step is learning, is bowing down to God. Now read this with me. Only fools thumb their nose at such wisdom and learning. What does this passage teach us that wisdom is from God's perspective? Some translations say it's to fear, respect, and reverence God. He actually is saying the first thing that you need to know is you're the created, not the creator. Real wisdom is knowing where it all began. Then he says this, wisdom is not just knowing the truth and saying, oh, I I, I get it. Wisdom is applying the truth to my life by saying I'm living it. People often confuse the act of gaining wisdom and truth and insight with being wise. Wisdom does include truth. Wisdom does include knowledge. But wisdom is actually taking those truths and applying them to your lives. To be wise, it must be applied. The wisest person that ever lived that walked on earth didn't come from earth. 
He came from heaven. Who's the only person that ever came to earth that came from heaven? Jesus. Many of you, or some of you here, were here when we started this church. How many of you here when we started? Raise your hand. How many of you here came when we were in orange chairs? Raise your hand. Do you know what you used to see? The third year, going to the third year, we were building this building. And we used to have a sign right when you pulled in. And you would see the foundation being built, these pillars going up, the stained glass behind here. Many of you know behind this cool screen is actually a bunch of stained glass. And if you came to the eight o'clock service, it would blind you if you sat over here. How many remember those days? And you watched the foundations of this building being built. We used to have a sign that said, God's money at work through you when people drove in. You, you remember that. Jesus was with the Father and he watched as the world was created. He watched how it was put together. He watched how it was supposed to work together. And he tells us, what wisdom is from heaven's perspective. Listen to what Jesus says as he's teaching about wisdom in Matthew 7, 24. First two words, everyone who, say that with me, everyone who, say that again. Do you, do you know what he wanted to show you? There's no exceptions to this. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how much money you got. It doesn't matter what color you are. This is everyone. Everyone who hears these teachings of mine and applies it to his life can be compared to a... What, what does that mean? That means it is possible to sit here in church and to hear it, but not apply it. Let me say that again. It's possible to sit here in church and to hear the truths of God's word and go, well, that's good, that's good, that's good, but that's, that really is not for me. And do not apply it to his life he says, who applies it to his life can be compared to a, a wise man. Say wise man. How many of you want to be wise? You become wise by applying God's truth to your life. Who built his house on a unshakable foundation. And when the rains fell and the flood came and the fierce winds came beating upon the house, it stood firm when Katrina hit because it's strong foundation. Apparently, this story Jesus knew about South Louisiana. Next two words, verse 26, but everyone who hears these teachings of mine and does not, oh, that's not for me. That's not for my marriage. That's not for my money. That's not for the way that I raised my kids. That's not, that doesn't apply to me. Can be compared to a foolish man who built his house upon and when it rained and rained and the flood came and the wind came and the waves came beating upon the house, it collapsed and was swept away. What is Jesus teaching us? He's saying you can hear God's word and not apply it to your life. In other words, listening is not learning and knowledge is not wisdom and information is not formation. How many ever had teenagers? How many of you can tell, once you've had teenagers, how old Isaac was when God told Abraham to go up and to kill him and sacrifice him on the altar? Oh, he was about 14. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Lord said, go take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him on the altar. And Abraham said, ever since that child turned 13, I've been wanting to kill him. Thank you, God. This is an answer to prayer. Because when you tell children stuff at that age, you can start talking to them and you're telling them stuff like, hey, before you leave, pick up in your room, make up your bed and clean up, okay, before you leave the house. Okay, you come back, the bed's a mess, everything's left out everywhere, and you go to them and you go, hey, I, I said, pick up in your room, make your bed and everything before you leave. And they say, oh, I know. Or they go to bed with their friends and they're watching TV or playing games and, you know, and, and, and you go, okay, y'all, y'all, before y'all go to bed, take all those pizza boxes and popcorn and everything and throw that away. You wake up the next morning, there's pizza everywhere, couch, popcorn everywhere. 
And you look up and go, well, I, I told you not to leave the pizza out, to put up the box. And they go, I know, I know. And you say, I, I told you last night to do your homework before you left to go be with your friends. And they go, and you know what you say? No, you don't know. Because if you knew, I wouldn't be telling you. I'm telling you because you don't know. So it's possible to hear it and not know it. Knowledge comes from applying it to your life. You are not living the life that you've heard. You're living the life and truth of the word that you know that's applied in your life, that's working. Here is what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us that all of us are going to go through life storms. All of us are going to go through life storms. He doesn't say there was a Christian storm and a non-Christian storm. It wasn't like there was a Christian house and it had a little rain and a little water fell, but it wasn't too bad, Chad. It was okay. But then the devil came and all hell broke loose against the Boudreaux. He's not saying that. It was the same storm that hit both places. The only difference was the foundation. The foundation. Both houses looked the same. Both had the same exterior. Both were in the same neighborhood. The only difference was the foundation. In today's terms, if we're making that people, both went to church, both read their Bible, both sang songs, both appeared to be the same until the storms of life came. And they determined then that application determines your foundation. It's only applying this word to your life that is the foundation. What are the steps, pastor, to becoming a fool? Because I want to make sure that I don't become a fool. Because a fool will hear the word of God but not apply it to their lives. Psalms 14 verse 1 Solomon's daddy, David, said this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their deeds are vile. What is he really saying here? For most atheists, most, well, there are very few people that are actually atheists. Most people that say they don't believe in God, it's not about atheism, it's about accountability. They don't want to believe that when they die, they're going to, have to answer to somebody because of the way they live. And you could tell by the way they live, they don't want to answer to anybody when they die. How many of you know the difference between kids that got parents they got to answer to and kids that have parents they don't have to answer to? That's accountability. It doesn't mean their parents don't exist. It means they don't hold them accountable. Wow, that was really good. I believe that the most demonic thing ever taught in public schools was evolution. Before abortion could happen in 1973 in Roe v. Wade and more than a billion babies be aborted every year. Before prayer was taken out of school in 1963 with a woman named Madeline Murray O'Hara. Long before they began teaching evolution. Evolution. Evolution believes that everything that you see is evolving it's called the Big Bang. It began with an explosion and somehow a living cell came out of the explosion. I taught my son Wesley one time evolution in a little poem, and it goes like this. First, it was amoeba beginning to begin. Then it was a tadpole with his tail tucked in. Then it was a monkey swinging through a tree. Now he's my professor with a PhD. <laughs> or someone else said, it's from goo to you by way of the zoo. Or as the monkey said, am I my keeper's brother? Well, why is that so demonic? Because whoever it begins with, it ends with. And when they began sowing the seed into people's heart, that it began from nowhere, it means at the end they answer to nowhere and no one. But the truth is, it did begin with somebody and it's going to end with somebody. It ended with somebody. So what makes a fool a fool, pastor? Number one, a fool says no to God. I'm going to say that real slow. A fool says no to who? Have you ever seen a two-year-old kid in a grocery store looking at their parents going, no! Nah! 
and you go, somebody needs to beat that child half to death. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they got a little candy and they're holding on to it and the parents saying, no, you can't. They're going, Do you know how foolish it is when people say that to God? A professor lectured on atheism once at a university and, and he stood up and he said, I want to prove to all of y'all there is no God. And he said, God, if you're really real, strike me dead. And he said it a number of times. He wasn't struck dead and he said, see, there is no God. If there was a God, I'd be dead. And that night while he went to sleep, one of God's little creations called a spider about this big bit him and answered his prayer. You saying that to God is like an ant standing on the railroad going, I dare the railroad company to come after me. Ah! God doesn't have to judge you. Your own stupidity of the consequences of your choices will judge you. A fool actually believes he's smarter than God. They can hear God's word and believe they don't need to apply it to their lives. It's good for other people, but not for them. In other words, God says, this is what's best for you. And the fool goes, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. I, the creation, am smarter than the creator. Now, how many of you here are truck men? Come on, how many of you been here like a truck? Raise your hand. Come on, really? thought there was more men up in this house. On the count of three, yell out what kind of truck you like. What brand? One, two, three. Okay, well, I'm a Ford truck man. All right. How many of you Dodge, GMC, Chevy? Took your Chevy to the levee, but the levee would die. I'm a Ram man. Imagine getting a brand new truck, which today could cost you up to $75,000. Okay. Imagine getting a brand new truck and you're going to fill it up for the first time and you pull up to the gas station. Everybody's all these cars pulling up there. Anybody ever been to Bucky's? Okay. So you pull up into the Bucky's. I don't know where the people come from that go to Bucky's, but everybody... Okay, Bucky's is Stuckey's on crack cocaine and steroids. For those of you old school remember Stuckey's. That was Bucky's granddaddy. And so, I just thought of that. <laughs> so, you, you go in and you pull up in there and you're filling your $75,000 truck up. Little cars, every kind of car around you, Volkswagens, old cars, new cars. And you're filling up and you go, man. Gas is three something a gallon. Let me see what kind of, what I'm supposed to put in there. You open up the glove compartment and you pull out the little manual and the manual says, only use high premium 90 something percent octane. Okay, and you look over there and you go, that's 350. That could cost me $110, I'm paying 75,000 for this truck. And then you look back behind you and you see a water hose. And it says, all the water you want for a dollar. And you go, <laughs> they're not fooling me. Oh, I'm fixing to show them something. This is a government scheme. And if I pay $3 for gas, I have to pay a dollar to the people that sold it to me. A dollar goes to the state and a dollar goes to the government, which is true. And now what I'm going to do, I'm going to show them. They think they're going to get me in this government scheme. They're crazy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm putting water in here and I'm going to show all of them and I'm going to fill up for a dollar instead of a hundred dollars. Every man here is going, what? Look at me. And two blocks down the road in your brand new $75,000 truck while you're broke down on the side of the road and Boudreaux in a $1,500 Chevy he got from his mama drives by you and waves at you. Don't even have AC, but he rides. Because you're smarter than the one that made it. You know, I don't even have to argue to prove people that there is a God anymore. All I have to do is say, 
look, I follow this and look at my life and look at all the other people that don't. That's all the proof you need. When you disobey God's commandments, you don't break them. You break you. You were created by this. This is the manual. This tells you you can have life and peace and joy. And if you don't obey this, you're going to end up on the highway of life, broke down in depression, divorced, your family falling apart. And when the storms of life come and you're all up and down the side of the road, look, we might not have very much, but we're going to putt-putt right beside you and go, we love you, fool. Because the fool has said no to the creator. That's what a fool does. Do, do you see any fool in yourself? Who but a fool would say no to God? Who would a fool would say no to God? Who would a fool would say no to the one that created him? Do you see areas of your life where you just keep getting stuck in the same place? Same temper? Same habits you want to break? Same double click you want to stop? Do, do you see errors in your life like that? How do you break the cycle of foolishness in your life when you have flesh patterns that you get stuck in? Somebody said like this, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You know anybody stuck on stupid? Listen to the words of Solomon, this wise man. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to its, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Let me explain what he's talking about. So a dog's hungry and it's trash day. So he goes running around. He goes, I smell Popeye's. Extra spicy. Jumps up, pulls the trash can down. Man, Popeye's rolls out. There was a 10 piece. He starts eating all of that. He licks the biscuit. Dogs don't like biscuits. He turns away from that, chews on a couple of French fries, licks the ketchup off of it, but he gets to the, those bones, and man, he starts chewing and gnawing on those bones. He's eating all of that. He eats it and eats it and eats it, and he just gets so full, blah, he throws up. And then he leaves. Now remember, animals only have flesh. They don't have a spirit like you and I have. We're made in the image of God. God is spirit. We're spirit. We're eternal. They're not. Don't tell anybody. All dogs go to heaven is a Disney movie, not a Bible scripture. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. Oh, no. Fifi's in heaven. <laughs> and so about four hours later, Fido gets hungry again. Fido goes, Man, I'm hungry. I think I remember kind of food was around this direction. And he goes around there. He goes, I smells Campbell's chunky chicken, spicy, chunky. And he goes right back to what he threw up. And because he doesn't have sense. He goes and he eats it just like he ate it the first time because he forgot that he was sick of it and threw it up. That's what the wisest man that lived that came from earth said. This is the cycle of a fool. He keeps saying, I'm sick of it. I'll never do that again. I'll never act that way again. My emotions will never get to me like that. I'll never look at porn again. I'll never drink like that again. I'll never explode that way again. And then he goes back to it or she goes back to it. The same relationships, the same bad people. Dr. Darius Daniels who we love to have here, says it like this. There's a difference between seasons and cycles. The seasons of life, winter, spring, summer, and fall, come for all of us, and it's going to change. But cycles don't change until you change. It doesn't change until you change. 
What would cause you to go back to something that you were so sick of that you wanted to throw it up, that you promised yourself you'd never do it again? What could get you to go back and do that again? The deceiver. He comes and he lies to you again. You, you won't get that sick this time. You won't get caught this time. You're smarter now. It's not as bad as you remember it being. The enemy makes you forget how sick it made you. How many of you know what Alzheimer's does to you? What does it make you do? Some of you got Sinheimer's. You forgot how sick your sin made you and you keep going back to it. Boudreaux went to the doctor and the doctor said, Boudreaux, he said, we've done your tests. And he said, I got bad news and worse news for you. Boudreaux said, bad news and worse news. What, what, what could be bad? And then what could be worse than that? He said, well, he said, the bad news is you have stage four cancer and you only have six weeks to live. He said, well, what could be worse than that? He said, well, what's worse than that is you also have Alzheimer's. He said, huh, well, at least I don't have cancer. Some of you from St. Martinville High figure that out tomorrow. You forget, you forget and you become trapped again in the same thing you said and you promised yourself you'd never do. You promised others that you love you'd never do again. Anybody ever been stuck like that besides me? I, I got a confession to make to y'all. It's a terrible confession and I especially hate making it with my wife, my beautiful wife of 39 years and 100 and almost 50 days. I, I, hate, I hate saying it even now. I hate dogs. Oh, no, yeah, I know. You're thinking, Pastor, you don't know Fifi. If you knew Fifi, you would love dog. You would love Fifi. Look at me. Look right here. I hate Fifi. <laughs> I hate Fifi. I hate Fido. I hate Juju. I hate the dirt. I hate, I, I hate your nut. I, I hate it all. I hate them. You say, Pastor, that's terrible. Why do you hate dogs so much? Well, the only thing I hate more than dogs is dogs in the house. Oh, yeah, I hate dogs in the house. You say, Pastor, hi. that's terrible. I know. And I've had a dog inside my house for 30 years. <laughs> it's a true story. I've had many different dogs. Yeah, Fifi, Juju, Shotzi. Shotzi too. I mean, I've, 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 had, I've had them. You say, Pastor, if you hate dogs so much, why do you have them? Because I love my wife more than I hate dogs. Go ahead. You can clap. Go ahead. I mean, look at her. How could I resist that? This isn't a joke. Do I hate dogs? Okay. And now... My son, who's at a discipleship training school, left us with his dog. Okay, it's an outside dog, thank God. Okay, but guess who has to deal with the dog? Guess who dealt with him this morning? Yeah, yeah, you got it. I, I, I could tell you, I, I mean, I, the dog knows I don't like him. You know, my daughter says, Daddy, you do like that dog. You feed him, you let him out, you give him water, you let him roam. I go, yeah, I do that because I'm responsible and I love my child. I hate the dog. <laughs> do you rub his head? No, I don't. Michelle will do that. My daughter will do that. I feed the dog. I let the dog run. I clean out his kennel. But let it be known, I hate the dog. <laughs> and the dog knows I hate him. So when it's time to put him back in his kennel, he don't want to go. But you know what? I figured out a trick. This is a revelation for some of you. This is going to help you. This is going to change your life. Bar D hot dogs from Rouse's cost 99 cents a pack. And I can get him in his kennel 24 times on a 99 cent pack. So I cut him in half 
and this dog that hates me and never obeys me, as soon as I pull that little hot dog out, he knows he's going where he doesn't want to go. He knows that I'm putting him back in the kennel. He knows that I'm locking him up. He knows all of that, but all I got to do is pull out a little hot dog. And he goes right back to where he hates. What hot dog does the enemy have that every time he pulls it out, you go like the dog returning back to his vomit? Do you have cycles of foolishness in your life? Things that you are sick of, that you try to let go, but they won't let go of you? How do you break the cycle of foolishness in your life? In the next five minutes, I want to tell you, and then we're going to close. Can I have five minutes? Five minutes. Raise your hand. Five. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 40. Whoa. I can preach till next Sunday. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, how do I break the cycle of a fool? Repent. Repent. Not regret, not remorse. Not just see it and not just hate it. See it, hate it, and turn away from it and turn to God. The worst part about sin is not that you got too drunk. It's not that you got caught looking at porn. It's not that you lost your temper again. The greatest part about sin is it separates you from God that loves you and other people that love you. The terrible part about sin is not that you have some kind of joy that God doesn't want you to have. He created you with all the joys that there are. The greatest part of sin is that it separates you from the God who loves you and most often other people that love you too. God, that's so good and it's just so true. So when I repent, I not only turn away from what I'm doing, I turn to the God who is the only one who can give me power to turn away from it and stay away from it and get further away from it every day of my life. Revelations 2.5. So remember the heights with which you've fallen and what? Repent. Change your, your old way of your sinful and then seek God's will. Because until you do that, you can't seek God. You can't seek God. Repentance is not just turning away from something you're doing that's wrong, but it's turning to the one that can help you and empower you to do what's right. Number two, renew your mind. Say that with me, renew your mind. When I became a Christian, everybody told me, they said, man, you got brainwashed. And you know what I said? If you knew it was in my brain. T.D. Jake said, man came from the dirt and he's naturally dirty. And all the women said, that's a lot of women. Renew your mind. Ephesians 4.23 says, instead, let the spirit renew your and your attitudes. How do we do that? We do that with the word of God. John 15, three, Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You wash your mind with the word of God. Look at me. God spoke and said, let there be light. He spoke and whatever he spoke, it created. And when you read this word right here, you know what this word is? You know what words are? They're thoughts written down. These are God's thoughts written down about you. And when you read this book, this is the only book you'll ever read that is alive. It is alive. And when you read it, it's like bleach. It washes your mind. It cleanses you. You are clean through the word which I've spoken to you, Jesus says. So you wash your mind with the word of God. This book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. You tell me how much time you spend in this book and I'll tell you how much victory you have in your thought life and in your spiritual life. Listen, the word and then worship. Did you love worship today? Didn't, didn't the team do a great job? Thank you, Lainey, Jenna, Damar. All y'all y'all did an amazing job just worshiping, just the presence of God. Didn't you love that? You know what that's like? It's like going, you ever seen these houses you go by and they got solar panels? You're catching power to power the house. Worship is your spiritual solar panels. Lord, just empower me. Just fill me. Can I tell you a secret? Have you ever felt like God was far away? Anybody ever felt like that? You know what Jesus said in John chapter four? Here's what he said. 
The Father seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. If you can't find God, start worshiping him. He'll find you. He'll find you. He'll find you. You pull open this word. People go, I just want God to speak to me. Then read the Bible. You go, Pastor, I want him to speak to me out loud. Read the Bible out loud. The word and worship. The word and worship. Here's number three. Reclaim new ground. Reclaim new ground. Ephesians 4.23 says, leave no such room or what? For who? Give him no opportunity. Do you know what that means? That means the devil's always looking for someplace. He can grab you by the foot because when he does, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to fall. The foothold in your life that God wants to take back is the place where you keep falling over and over and over again. Number four, repeat your sin to a trusted friend for accountability. You go, wait wait a minute, Pastor. I thought it was that other church where you had to confess your sin to somebody to be forgiven. I believe that you confess your sin to God for forgiveness. How many of you know we believe that? Okay, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay, but when I have a habit that I foothold, something that the devil grabs me at all the time and I keep falling into, I can't do it by myself. I need help. And here's what James wrote. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus said. Confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so you can be And then he tells us why. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has, it has great power. In other words, you're weak. You need the power of somebody else helping you. And produces what? We confess our sin to God for forgiveness, but we confess it to someone else for healing. It breaks the cycle. Pastor, when do I need to confess to someone else? If you keep stumbling in the same place. That's the sign. If you can't stop looking at porn, you need accountability. If you can't stop falling into depression, you need accountability. If you keep falling into the same habit of addiction, food, alcohol, doesn't matter what it is, you need accountability. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know people you love that do harmful things to themselves? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have said something to those people about it? Raise your hand. How many of you... You don't say anything because you don't think they'll receive it. Raise your hand. It's true. You know what I've discovered in life? Advice that isn't asked for usually isn't appreciated. Okay, you walk up to somebody who's unhealthy and they're eating a honey bun, a box of meshes, and chocolate milk to choke it down. And you walk up and go, are you trying to have a diabetic coma? die, not see your daughter walk down the aisle, or you just don't want to see your grandchildren when they're born? Try that one and see how it works in the store. You think that's going to work? Because advice that's not asked for usually not appreciated. But when someone says to you, hey man, would you, would you pray for me? Why? I've just been struggling with my temper. Isn't it refreshing when someone says, man, I, I, I've been having struggle with, with, with lust or with depression and you stop and go, thank you for saying that. Man, the other day we were driving down the street. We pulled into a store and this young girl walked by. Man, you just like stared a whole time. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. Thank you. I will speak to that now. I want to pray for you. I'm using lust and porn because it's an easy one to pick on. But there's a whole lot more. And all of us have areas where we need. You know why? Look at me. Everybody's got blind spots. Everybody here has blind spots. I know what you're thinking. Not me, Pastor. Oh, yeah, you do. You ever been backing up and your three-year-old goes, Daddy, you about to hit something? A three-year-old was smarter than you. They are in the areas where you have blind spots. But when you confess it, you give people permission to address it in your life. My experience has been that God will bring people to you that have overcome areas of their life. If you'll open up, But can I tell you something? You know what? Many of us don't want to say anything. Watch this. We're going to be embarrassed. Let me give you a promise. Number one, there's no temptation uncommon to man. All of us struggle with the same thing. But watch this. 
If you don't confess it to the right person, then one day it's going to come out and it's going to be exposed to everybody. So you can either expose it now to somebody that can help you or you can expose it later through your actions and it will shame you. You get to decide who you expose it to. Repeat it to a trusted friend. Listen, walking in wisdom, it's a daily journey. It is for me. No one ever plans on being a fool. You never walk to somebody at graduation and go, and what do you want to do when you graduate? Well, I want to be a fool. I want to bring shame to my parents. I want my mate to be embarrassed of me. I want my siblings to be ashamed that they knew me. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm a fool. That's what I'm working on. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. But look at me. To be a fool, all you got to do is nothing. <laughs> but to be wise. You can take God's truth. You can daily apply it to your life. And even if you started off in a bar with your parents married five and seven times like me, it's just a greater gap of gratitude and a greater gap of wisdom. Somebody asked me, well, why do you keep saying that you've been married 39 years and 150 something days, wherever it is? I said, because my parents got divorced in 20 years. I'm going to make it at least twice as long as them. So if Miss Michelle leaves me after that, you know what happened. As a pastor to you, my greatest desire is that you be able to walk your children down a path of wisdom that you never got walked down yourself. Their marriage in their relationships and friendships in their health in your money and what this book says about it in every area of your life. The Bible says the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter like the noonday. Can I tell you what that means? In the world, they celebrate being young and good looking. I'm 63. I like being 63. I like it. Because I've learned a lot of important lessons that are more important than having a million dollars. And I get the privilege of sharing those treasures with people. And I'm now old enough that I've walked it for almost 50 years that people can walk up and go, could you share that treasure with me? And I can give you something that can transform your life from God's word. What a joy. What an honor. What a treasure. That's why the Bible says pursue wisdom more than fine treasure and gold. It's worth more than those things. Do you have an area of your life where you're bound? Where you're stuck in a cycle. I want to pray for you because I think all of us have some error like that in our lives. Would you bow your head with the Heavenly Father? Today we thank you for the power of the Word of God. Lord, I thank you for the precious people that are here. They're here because they love your Word, they're here because they love your house, they're here because they love your presence. But they're here because they want to walk in greater freedom every day. Lord, come by your Holy Spirit to the ears where we're stuck. Holy Spirit, speak to us in the ears we're stuck, the cycles we're stuck in. Give some of us the courage to confess it. Not just to you, you know it, but to somebody that can help us. Lord, may what you do this morning not end in this house. May just begin here this morning. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait a moment on the Holy Spirit.
want you free in every area of your life. He wants you free in every area of your life. So you can pass a legacy of freedom to your children and grandchildren. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? Every person born has been born spiritually dead and you never come into a relationship with God, know him, know forgiveness of sins, know the plan and purpose that he has for you until you are spiritually born again, raised from the spiritually dead. Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. He died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either he did or you will. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you turn away from sin to be born again. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Just pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. I've never prayed to be born again. I want today to be my spiritual birthday, today to be my new beginning. Remember, this only happens once, just like the day you were born. One, God brought you here. Nothing's ever an accident. Two, every circumstance in your life has been leading up to this moment. And then on the count of three, when I say three in just a moment, I want you to raise your hand. And by doing that, you're simply saying, Pastor, pray for me. I've never prayed to be born again. I want to be born again today. Now everything's led up to this moment. Now's your time. Three, if that's you, lift it high. Pastor, pray for me. I want to be born again. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Raise it high, put it back down. Okay, yes, I see your hand. Last time I'm going to ask, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but my heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know you're talking to me. I know God is speaking to me. Raise your hand and wave it at me right now. I'm asking this last time just for you. Wave it at me. Yes, yes, yes. The church... Let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again today. Let's pray out loud with them. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, in a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen.